You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th. And it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose. And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. We're going to start this off with an acting exercise. Hey, look, you signed up for a theater podcast. You knew what you were getting involved in. All right. Now close your eyes. Close your eyes. And remember how you felt when you heard this. Right now, a historic moment. Uh, we can now project the winner of the presidential race. CNN projects Donald Trump wins the presidency. Now keep those eyes closed. And remember how you felt when you heard these cries at the border. Okay. I know it's painful. I know it's painful, but keep those eyes closed. Now remember how you felt when you heard this. Dr. Fauci, should Americans be prepared for the likelihood that there will be 100,000 Americans who die from this virus? The answer is yes. We need as, as sobering a number as that is, we should be prepared for it. 65,853,514 people voted for Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election. 62,984,828 people voted for Donald Trump in the 2016 election. More than 5 million voters voted for a third-party candidate in the 2016 election. And just around 100 million people just didn't vote. Elections have consequences, and we are in the very dumpster fire shit show of it all right now. Now open your eyes. Open your eyes and quickly go find the closest mirror or reflective surface near you. All right, got it? Now look into it. You see that person? That person is going to help change all of this. A few months back, I had a thought. Well, more than a thought. The beginnings of a plan. What if the theater community and theater people alike came together and used what they inherently have within them, that activist voice? And what if we used that voice and those powers to keep the House, take the Senate, and win back the presidency this fall? And what if I put together a limited series where every other week we give you an action plan and an artist slash activist to inspire you to go out and get to work? Well, let's do it. I'm Eric Uyoa, and this is Do You Hear the People Sing? A theater person's guide to saving democracy. Oh, and if you're here to re-elect Donald Trump, you're in the wrong fucking place. 
So I imagine you're wondering, who am I? Well, my name is Eric Ulloa, and I am a loudmouth 38-year-old gay Latino playwright actor. Now, activism didn't start in me from birth. Not at all, even. Not in my teenage years. Not even in my early college years. In fact, I'm going to start this off with an admission that I have never publicly said aloud. Hand to God, you are the first people to hear this. In the year 2000, I turned 18 and finally had the right to vote. I did not vote in that election. In fact, it gets worse than that. My vote was in Florida in the 2000 election, and I did not vote. But you live, you learn, you grow. So how did activism actually start into my life? Well, in 2007, I remember sitting back and watching some of the early debates, and I saw a candidate for president that for the first time actually spoke to me. His name was Barack Obama. This man had something in him that just went to the very core of me, to the core of the ideals of kindness, that we could do better than we were doing throughout the Bush years. And I jumped to the ground and put everything I had in me into that campaign, phone banking, writing letters, posting things, anything I could to make sure that Barack Obama was the next president of the United States. And sure enough, that happened. So activism starts to rumble in me. I start to feel positive about it. Cut to marriage equality in New York. I began to work with a group called Broadway Impact. And listen, in full admission, I thought one of the guys that worked for it was really cute and I kind of had a crush. But hey, you know what? That crush got me in the door. And I sat there and we started maybe five or six of us writing letters, making some phone calls. You didn't think much change was coming from that. And then suddenly, the next thing you know, we're marching on the streets. There are massive rallies in Times Square. And then cut to the Gershwin Theater, the Defying Inequality concert. Thousands of people, celebrities from all over coming in to fight for marriage equality in New York. And guess what? A few months later, marriage equality passed in New York. Once again, the stirrings of activism rumbling in me. Now twice, twice I'm seeing the work paying off. Then there was a moment that lit the match and started the true fire of activism in me. That morning I turned on the news and found out that 20 small children and six adults were killed in Newtown, Connecticut at the Sandy Hook Elementary School. And something about what happened there, like everyone in the country, knocked the wind out of me. But what really kept the fire going was watching how our country moved on so quickly. Legislation which you thought would pass, my God, children were dead, little babies were dead. It didn't pass. The Republican Senate voted it down. And this furthered that fire. This fire now became an inferno. And I found myself typing on Facebook so angry, typing in an echo chamber to all my friends that thought exactly the way I did. And so I was doing nothing. And so I devised a plan with a few friends that we would sit and create questions and head out to Newtown. This was about the six month mark. And we would go and listen to people and use the inherent traits that we have as actors to maybe create some kind of change, be some kind of relief to these people. And I went out there and I listened and I met a person that I met three people. Then that became six. 12. One week became three weeks. 
by the time I had left there, I had 65 interviews with people from all walks of life. These interviews eventually became a play called 26 Pebbles. That play took a turn that I never expected and went into the high schools and colleges all over this country, all over the world, in fact. And that play, I watched it light a fire under teenagers and young adults to make change in their world, that they had the tools as artists with their voice to create change. And that right there is when I knew that nothing would ever be the same, that an artist has the set of tools to create massive change if we actually just put our minds to it. So with all of that that I learned within myself, I sat and I thought, wait a minute, our community is built for this. We are so built with these inherent traits within us. We are taught to listen instinctively. We are taught to talk and express ourselves instinctively. And we have something in us that most people have a harder time tapping into that we are taught to tap into every day for what we do. And that's compassion. We are compassionate people that see the world around us and then we go on stage in our capacities and we portray that world out. So that's why I think we are built for this. Don't believe me? But please don't take it from me. Take it from the very lady who inspired me with these wise words, Nina Simone. An artist's duty, as far as I'm concerned, is to reflect the times. I think that is true of, of, of painters, sculptors, poets, musicians. I, it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's their choice. But I choose to reflect the times and the situations in which I find myself. That, to me, is my duty. I, and, and at this crucial time in our lives, when everything is so desperate, when every day is a matter of survival, I don't think you can help but be involved. Young people, black and white, know this. That's why they're so involved in politics. We will shape and mold this country, or it will not be molded and shaped at all anymore. So I don't think you have a choice. How can you be an artist and not reflect the times? Still not fully convinced? All right. I have some thoughts for you. What is the very first thing that goes when something goes wrong in this country? The arts are very livelihoods. In 2007, the recession that happened due to poor leadership affected us directly. The moment the stock market crashed and everyone started fleeing, the first thing they let go of was theater subscriptions and any expenditures like that. Theaters all over the country started shutting their doors overnight because of lack of sales, lack of subscriptions, and we had less work. Right now, what we're living in, what we're currently in as you're listening to this is because of politics, because of what is happening. We are sitting without work because of failed leadership. So activism and the arts and politics are all together in one giant stew that we all live in. Now, with all this comes a set of fears. I get it. Activism is scary as shit. I totally get it. So I went around and I asked the theater community, what are your fears? What scares you about activism? What are things that you worry about when you think about diving in? And here's some of the things I heard. Activism terrifies me. I'm a middle-aged white male that looks like those kneeling on necks. I'm also a loudmouth that has a tendency to take over conversations. Between that 
and my lack of desire to instigate conflict, I am afraid of activism. Activism doesn't scare me. Marching, calling, writing, voting, listening, learning, having those tough conversations. But what does scare me a bit, and what I've been looking at in myself, are the more performative aspects of activism. The posting, the Instagramming, and wanting to get clear about the intentions behind it. Does activism scare me? Yes and no. As performers, we force ourselves to confront uncomfortable scenarios all the time. So this is just one more. As a smaller person, the group unity and larger function of it is amazing and also makes me nervous. Uh, My own personal safety is more so at risk should something happen. I'm easily trampled and knocked down. That doesn't always come into play. However, it is something I'm constantly aware of when making choices of where to be or who to be with. All of those are perfectly legitimate. And that's exactly why we're here. So let me show you what the weeks ahead are going to look like. We're going to go through all of this. We're going to teach you about protesting. We're going to teach you about fundraising, voter registration, canvassing. We're going to get you set up with all the tools so that you can get out there and feel confident and find that activist within yourself to get out there and make the most effective change so that November goes exactly as we plan. And once again, we take back the Senate, the presidency, and we keep the House and we make the change that we want in this country. On top of that, every week, you're gonna get an inspirational member of our community who's also an activist that will send you out the door feeling amazing, knowing that, hey, they've done it, they've been there, and they're gonna tell you all about it and how you should go out there and approach all this so that you feel safe, secure, comfortable, considerate, a hug from us to you on the way out. We're also gonna have a section called, well, shit happened where we go back and let you know what's happened the two weeks prior. Because you know what? It's an election season and things change by the hour. We're also going to remind you of some registration dates. In fact, we're going to go over some right now. Voter registration. New York State. We'll go to New York State because that's my home state right now. New York State. New York State, your voter registration has to be postmarked by October 9th, received by October 14th. If you are going to vote absentee this year, The last day to have your postmark request for an absentee ballot is October 27th. To apply in person for an absentee ballot, November 2nd. Now, your last day to postmark your absentee ballot and send it in, November 2nd. Your last day to drop it off, November 3rd, Election Day. And we're going to tell you that every single week so you don't forget to make sure you are registered, you are ready, because we are in the middle of a crazy time and anything can happen. So earlier I spoke about how the activist was born inside of me. And now I want to turn to somebody who had the activist born in them at a much younger age, my friend, Javier Munoz. There was one name at the top of my list when I was thinking about perfect voices for this podcast. And today I'm thrilled to have him as my inaugural guest, a human who speaks to the very essence of one who not only talks the talk, but walks the walk. He has used his theatrical celebrity and social media presence to initiate a number of platforms, most recently launching the Broadway Relief Project, which united Broadway seamstresses, actors, and other members of the community to help the New York City government meet the need for 10 million surgical gowns during this ongoing pandemic. He's received honors from the Human Rights Campaign, was featured on the cover of Out Magazine as 2016's Breakout of the Year, and even has his very own day here in New York City on June 21st. 
I'm thrilled to welcome my inspiring friend, the man who forever gave my parents bragging rights about having hung out with Hamilton backstage, actor-activist Javier Munoz. Welcome, Javi. Hello. <laughs> that was like the most incredible introduction ever. Thank you so much. Hey, man, you're, do- you're doing incredible things. Uh, you know, I had, I had to just, you know, and that's, that's only a little bit of it, too. Like, you know, I tried to fit it all in. I would have been like three pages. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. How are you? I, ha- I haven't seen you since the pandemic. Pandemic, I know. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. I mean, as good as anyone can be. In these kind of conditions, I, I mean, I've doubled in size, but other than that, I'm good. <laughs> How are you doing? I think, I think we're all in the same boat there. I think we all have that, uh, that moment where we're going to go back into reality and realize we have to hit the gym immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I'm good, man. All's well. Uh, I'm just excited for this. You know, I thought, you know, when we were putting together the podcast, like inaugural guests and your name popped right into my mind. And then I also thought to myself now, can the world handle a Puerto Rican and a Cuban talking politics? <laughs> We're going to find out. We're going to find out. <laughs> we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, so, you know, speaking of pandemic, tell me about Broadway Relief Project because I just think this is incredible. Like as I was on my couch eating my feelings, watching episode six of Tiger King, like you had started a giant thing. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> episode six of Tiger King. Um, I've not watched. I've not indulged by the way. Uh, yeah. So you know what? Um, we, we all got the rug pulled out of us, right? We, we have an administration that was making this seem like it was not something to worry about and concern ourselves about. Yet we were watching um, numbers grow globally and we were watching incredible things happening overseas. We were seeing this virus approach our shores and we had this administration ignoring it basically. I mean, there's video footage to, to hell and back that proves this. This is not me speculating. And I was one of those people who was listening to this administration and yet paying more attention to what was happening around the world. And by the time we got to lockdown, where suddenly it was like, bam, and your life is over. My show closed, cleared up my dressing room, and I was home. And it was like, well, is this two weeks? Is this a month? What is this? And about day six, I was, you know, like everybody else, just, just taking in the news, taking in the governor taking in the mayor, taking in our news daily and freaking out, trying to understand well, what, what, what's happening and how do, we, how do we really adjust to this? Because I'm following the rules. I'm staying home. I'm washing my hands. I'm doing all the things. But yeah. 
but this is this is crazy. Like I can't just sit here. And you know, the governor probably for two days straight was talking about the need for PPEs. And I'm just not someone who can sit on my ass. I just can't. I can't ignore the thing that's in front of me and not ask myself, what can I do? What can I say? How can I be proactive? How can I participate? And I'm looking at this need for PPEs and I'm saying to myself, I mean, is it possible that our Broadway seamstresses and seamsters and wardrobe departments couldn't be hired and, and be utilized in some way? I mean, I've, we've all, all our theater artists, we've done our regional productions, we've done Broadway productions, opera, we've been all over the place and seen magic happen in these wardrobe departments. Oh yeah. And literally it just felt like this, this has to be something, you know, through my activism, I'm very, I'm very uh, fortunate and I'm very grateful to have uh, the ears and, 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 and the, the attention and the friendship and the camaraderie of, of many incredible people. So I tapped some folks at the at BCEFA and I pitched this idea and I just said, I, I, I know your bandwidth is probably completely overwhelmed, but could you point me in the right direction? Who can I talk to about this? And um, Tom pointed me in the direction, Tom Biola pointed me into, into, in the direction of uh, Broadway Green Alliance and Molly Raverman. And Molly and I got in touch with each other and it took like five minutes before we were on board with the same idea. And what that proved to me was, okay, I'm not the only one thinking about this. I'm not the only one who's thinking, wait, we can do something. Yeah. And, yeah. and so that literally, that was a conversation she and I had on a Thursday. By Friday, Valerie at BCFA had connected me with Bruce Barish, who runs Windsor Cleaners, owns and operates Windsor Cleaners. It's a family business. They even have a Tony Award, an honorary Tony. Really? Yeah, they do. They're services to the Broadway community. They're the people Amazing. who dry clean our costumes. And, oh, wow. And, yeah, exactly. And at the time, uh, dry cleaners were an essential business, which meant the missing piece. Molly and I were doing all this work, finding material donations, finding volunteers, doing all this. And we were like, but how do we make this happen physically? Bruce Barish's vans were an essential business. They could be on the road transferring materials to and from places, finished products to and from places. So now what we needed, and Bruce was amazing. Let me tell you, Bruce was like, Bruce was on board like day one. He was ready to go. That man is an amazing, amazing human being, like beyond activist. It's in his blood. He's ready to help at all times. Um, so we basically just needed the attention of the city at that point. And... <laughs> You know, thank God for Twitter. <laughs> and I literally screamed on my couch when I saw you reach out and then the governor's like, hey, Javi, send it this way. <laughs> <laughs> I freaked out, too. It was crazy. I was the like, governor of New York's talking to you on Twitter and being like, yeah, we need you. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. It was really amazing. And and I I mean, I took I took him and speaker Corey Johnson up. For, uh, uh, for for what they were offering, and I and I and I just basically DM'd, got some information, and then here's the really wonderful part. Here's the power of our our, our journalists and, and, and journalism in general. Um, a fantastic reporter and journalist, Hunter. Uh, he works for Yahoo News. He got wind of my story and what I was trying to do. 
and wanted to write about it, right? He wanted to be like, I can, let me help you. Let me help you and then let me write a piece about it because this is uplifting. This is hopeful. And I said, well, yes. And how can, like, please. And we know each other from Hamilton. We know, like, that's that's the Broadway thing, right? You meet tons of people in all sorts of different um, aspects of, 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 of industries and, and, and political positions and such, right? And he was able to connect me with some, some colleagues of his who were, you know, this is a one big thing. The entire city was one unit. So every sort of aspect and facet of New York City was working together, right? There was no one like trying to do something separate of the other, one entity. And so yeah. I got, he, put, he was able to help me get in touch with the EDC and the EDC, through the EDC is how I got in touch with the Brooklyn Borough President. That's how I got in touch with folks at the governor's office. And that's how we really got this going. That was the attention and the open door that we needed. This is like a day later. I'm now on the phone at like 9 or 10 p.m. with a representative from the EDC. And they want to get the facts. They just want to get the, all the details of what, what we've got so that they can go back and discuss how they can utilize us. Cut to Saturday, and we've got it. We've got the attention of the EDC. I've had like two conversations with them. I've looped Molly in and Bruce in. And now we the, the problem was that we were this... Amoeba, right? We were like in the Bronx, in Brooklyn, yeah. in Queens, and in Manhattan. And so we needed a roof. And that's where Open Jar Studios comes in. Jeff Whitting was already on his own path with the Manhattan Borough President to do exactly this. He was doing it in a different way, but he was he was his mission was the same. And when we got wind of that, we gave everything over to Jeff and said, let this be under the roof of Open Jar Studios. So it became the three of us who are really operating this. Think of this as the biggest musical you've ever seen. A hundred stage managers, a cast of 200, and a crew of 50. You know what I mean? Think of like the biggest production. And everyone that, you know, was on board was on board for the best intentions and the best reasons. And it happened. I mean, it really happened. And I'll, I'll never forget the, the, the moment that the Brooklyn Borough president gave us publicly gave us the green light and then we were up and running and you know kudos to Jeff to running this on a daily basis kudos to Molly for handling so much backstage work and and really my my service was making all the connections that's the power and, and the magic of activism right there's no one answer and there's no one way and there's no one person it takes everybody it's a team effort everyone works together and has a, a, a special skill that they can bring to the, to, to the effort. They have a special thing and a, and, a, and a voice and a presence and an ability that they're able to bring to the effort. So it takes everyone. There's never one person who gets the glory, right? It is all of us. You guys heard there was a necessity. You answered the call quicker than anybody else I saw. And you literally gave the Broadway community, we, we are people that want to do. This is why yeah. you know, I'm starting this podcast, the idea that like we inherently, we want to do stuff. We're like, when something happens, we're like, hey guys, we're fixers. We're born to be fixers. We've all been through tech. If you've been through a tech, you know how to fix shit. There's also something greater though, right? And it's, it's, it's we are those, we are all those things. But what we are also is we are, we are an industry that is rooted in humanity. That's Absolutely. what we do. That's who we are. So yeah. of course we answer the call. 
because what we do on a daily basis is rooted in humanity. When did the initial rumblings of activism start to like stir in you? And then, and then furthermore, what was then that moment where like that match sparked and like the flame just burned and you went, that's it. I grew up in the Linden projects of East New York, Brooklyn, um, violent neighborhood, one of the highest crime rate in the eighties and, um, in New York city. So like 10 minutes away was this more affluent neighborhood. And I was able to go to school there. So I was at home witnessing, witnessing what we now can, can name police brutality, what we can now name, you know, very, very openly. And I'm so grateful for it. All these forms of systemic racism growing up and having that ingrained in me, going to school in a mostly white neighborhood and being too brown for that neighborhood and that school, being labeled this outside entity because I was bussed into the neighborhood to go to school with. Mm -hmm. And the disparity between, you know, being too white-skinned for my neighborhood, even though I'm a minority, I am Puerto Rican, I was very light, I am very light. Mm -hmm. um, so I was too white for my neighborhood, I was too brown for where I was going to school. And it took time, but as a kid, as I was getting older, I was understanding this more and more. And it just was something that was ingrained in me as unfair. Yeah. And that was the label I could give it, unfair at the time. Cut to high school and I'm coming out and I'm, I'm discovering theater and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the power of diversity and um, several experiences in high school, you know, one I just recently shared about being gay bashed at 15 and, 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 and just having, having these experiences that I couldn't quantify yet, but I was just beginning to learn were undeserved, were unfair, there was an imbalance. Things just weren't the way TV showed it, right? Things weren't the way movies showed it. Things weren't even the way... Some of these books showed them. And so, so this awareness and this awakening in high school. Then it was college that um, Giuliani was our mayor, that piece of shit. And in the middle of my first year, um, Giuliani decides to raise the tuition for city university schools. My first protest was against these tuition hikes that Giuliani was implementing in City University. Now, of course, you look at the, at, the, at, at the structure of that, the whole point, you raise tuition past the point where a certain demographic in, in our city, primarily minorities and, uh, and single mothers, right, um, and single parents in general, can no longer afford a city university level education. They get pushed down to community college education level. Yep. What are their job opportunities after they complete that? Exactly. They're not going to be able to afford to come back. So this isn't this isn't the city needs money. This is strategic, right? So this was the protest, and that was the first time I was like, "Wait, I have a voice. I have a voice." And from the and that was at the age of 17, 17, 18. Wow. And that's when I started. That's when I started my activism. That's when I started to join the clubs and 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 read more and, and dive into into plays and and works that were politically based and charged and 
you know, research things like, like, like Boal, right? And, 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 and understand that there was, there was a deep connection between activism and art. I'm really interested in shaping this new generation. You know, I work with a lot of uh, high school and college kids, you know, via my play and things like that. And yes. what I sense in them is something that was not in my generation. Um, I hate that I'm called a millennial because I would graduate in 2000. But yes, I am a millennial. Um, and my generation, I feel like in many ways, dropped the ball. We got very complacent and we sat back and, and, and we didn't do enough. And I'm glad people are now stepping forward more. But this next generation, man, they are amazing. And I'm, and I'm talking to these kids from like 15 to like 18, 19, 20. And they want to jump in and fight and get into it. And that's when you started. So like here, you know, going into, I think people are very scared with the balance of being an actor or a writer or somebody in theater, in the theater world, and also using that activist voice. Like that scares the shit out of them. Like, will they get blacklisted? Will they get, you know, so what do you say to people to, you know, to assuage those fears, people that are ready to jump forward and step into the activism while maintaining a successful career in theater? I, 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 I agree with everything that you've just said. And here's what's up. So <laughs> in real transparency, there, there's, there, every, every risk you just uh, mentioned is completely 100% true. Yeah. I have been blacklisted. I am someone that people close the door to because of my activism. I am someone that people don't want in the room because of my voice and my activism, because I am not afraid to stand up for myself. Now, we are at a very incredible point right now where our industry is listening in a incredibly profound way. Yeah. The situations I found myself in throughout my entire career, where that door closed, where that director will no longer work with me, that writer, that producer won't hire me, that choreographer won't have anything to do with me. The amount of emails I've received from those people who are now suddenly aware that they've made mistakes. That's tremendous. Wait, really? So they're emailing you now and saying like, hey, I realized I fucked up years ago? These, these people are waking up. Oh, I say. love that. Let's call it that. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, a better word than fucked up, sure. Right? Let's just say that they're, they're waking up and they're owning. There's ownership. Now, that's, I'm not saying that it's solved and it's done. We are far from done. But there's an awareness. And when, when, when a dialogue as open as what's happening now can start, those risks of, of what you might be sacrificing by speaking up and acting out in protest and, and, and being heard are less. And here's, here's what uh, I mean. Selfishly for me, I'm joyous at this moment. No, totally. I'm grateful right now. This moment in time for me, and I really am speaking very selfishly, makes every single sacrifice I made worth it. Every single time I was the only Latin person in the room and I spoke out against something in the script and I spoke out against a lyric and I made my point heard, and I was blacklisted for it, worth it. Every time someone tried to question my authenticity as a Latin human being, and I spoke back, worth it. Every yeah. producer who won't hire me for it, 
every writer, everything, worth it. Worth it because right now that door is open. And it takes, it took generations of people before me, through me, and it'll take it way past after me to keep this going. We have to keep cracking that door open. We have to keep knocking that wall down. And sometimes you have a sledgehammer and sometimes you have a spoon. But you keep going because someone after you is going to pick it up and keep going. I'm listening to interviews that are happening right now of my younger peers in this industry in their 20s and 30s. And I'm listening to them use language and discourse that has been used for generations that I used. And I'm listening to them have the the visibility and the platform because this industry is listening. They're using it and they're saying it. They're not going to pay the kind of prices that I and others have paid. And that's beautiful. The risks are always going to be there no matter what. They are less now at this moment. But there's always risk. Whether it's, whether it's the risk of being arrested in a protest, whether it's the risk of, yes, turning, turning off a certain you know, person in this industry because of your particular perspective, sure, it's always going to happen. But... I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed to, to, to be able to be able to witness this younger generation and say, be proud that they're, they're taking the baton and completely running forward, completely running forward with this. You touched on something that I'm actually, I want to, I want to jump into because you, you're so active on it. And I think you have such a distinct voice. And when I was asking people before I put together this podcast, some of their fears of activism, yes. so many answers, you know, uh, had to do with social media. They were very, um, you know, how do I not seem performative on social media? How do I handle the blowback on social media I'm going to get? How do I, you know, I think all of us during uh, this Black Lives Matter thing and everything, the more we posted, I started noticing my numbers start to drop drastically. And I went... Wait, you're 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 leaving following me because I'm standing up for humans not being killed? Like, yes. what the fuck? Yes. Um, what do you you know? What? How would you navigate someone through the world of social media based on your reactions and what you've been through? Because I know you've been through it on Twitter with you know with people and, their, and the way they've acted towards you. What would you offer to them as far as the best path forward and how to deal with the blowback? That's a big question. Um, clear, you know. When I first started my activism, we didn't have the internet. <laughs> we weren't, we weren't, uh, or whatever internet, we, whatever we had on, on our computers certainly wasn't what we have now. Um, so our work was in person. Our work was face-to-face. And so for me, the time that I grew up in with my activism meant I couldn't hide behind a screen fake name and a fake profile pic. I had to get in the face of the politician or as close to them as I could get. I had to get in the face of the cops at a protest. I had to get in the face of my opposition. I had to face people. Now that created a courage in me that no onslaught on any social media platform will diminish. No ridiculous statement from someone who can't even argue an informed and educated point 
will intimidate me. So I push back and I push back hard. Now that is me. That is not everyone else's temperament and that's not everyone else's threshold. I have a high threshold for it. The things that happened to me as a result, what pushed my threshold was being doxxed and having the harassment reach my doorstep. That's when it, when I had to involve police investigation, that's when it was like, now you've pushed me to a point that I, I, my threshold is broken. But I didn't stop, right? I didn't stop. I'm still here. I'm still on Twitter. I'm still doing it. I didn't back down. And to me, that's what matters. Shit happens, but how do you keep going? So here's what, I'm, what I have to offer to, as advice to folks. And I said this in that Instagram post. Do a deep search. You have to ask yourself, what makes you angry? What touches on your, your righteous anger? Examine it. Ask yourself why and be honest with your why. Be honest with why you're angry at whatever it is that reaches your heart and, and lights that fire in you. Make sure you understand yourself. Then ask yourself, what is it that you want to change? What is it that you want to affect? Be specific. Then take time to inform yourself, educate yourself, and arm yourself with knowledge. It is not enough to just have emotion. It is not enough to just feel. You have to educate yourself, have knowledge, arm yourself with language and words. Then take that and ask yourself the real question. What is my threshold for risk? And you don't have to risk everything, right? I... I am the person who's going to run down the street and light myself on fire to make a point. That's, that's, but that's not, that doesn't have to be what it is. That's not everybody. And that's, that goes back to my point of ask yourself, what is your threshold for risk? And accept it. Don't feel bad if your threshold isn't com doesn't compare to someone else's. It's yours. So work within your capacity. And because your voice is needed at that capacity. And, and, and this is the point. It takes everyone working on every level to, to affect real change. And, but understand and make room for the variety of energies that exist in activism. Right? Make room for the fact that while you're working at, at, at a high risk level, someone else is not, but they're still active, they're still doing something, make room for that. Yeah. And if you are working at a, at a level that only you can handle, you feel bombarded by, by the, or overwhelmed by the energy of someone who's, you know, like me, lighting themselves on fire, just make room for that. Yeah. Because it takes all of it. It yeah. takes all of it to create the change that we seek. And yeah. make peace with that. Because at the end of the day, if you've at least tried, if you've at least done something, that's, that's success. That's triumphant, right? And, and then you find your voice. Through that process, you find where you stand. You find your platform. You find how you say things. I was talking to a friend of mine. 
she has she had this idea for for an effort. She wanted to initiate something, and and yeah, and and she she said something to me. She goes, but you know, people have done this before, and so I I feel like I'm repeating it. And I said, stop it. You've never done this before. This is going to be now in your voice. So that makes it new because it yeah. makes it yours authentically. One hundred percent. Right. So that's what it's about. It's 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 just keep asking yourself the questions to find your voice and your capacity. So the fight never stops. There will always be someone fighting. So have faith. Thank you again, Javier, as I knew you'd be the perfect first guest. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, we're here every other week. So go out, get to work, and we can't wait to have you back. Also, please consider making a donation to Fair Fight at www.fairfight.com. We know when they can't win fairly, they always try to cheat. And Stacey Abrams and Fair Fight are working hard to ensure that doesn't happen. Do You Hear the People Sing is a production of the Fabulous Invalid LLC and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Brett Ryback. Our photography is by Michael Kushner. And our graphic design is by Aviva Sakala-Shahar. wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward, limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.